listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes, over 2,500 pages, of the work The Mystical City of God by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. And if you'd like to discuss today's readings, you can do so over at Facebook by finding the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaimed the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir aflame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 140. And we are reading from Volume 2, Book 4, Chapter 3, Paragraphs 397 to 406. Chapter 3. The angel of the Lord speaks to St. Joseph in his sleep and makes known to him the mystery of the Incarnation, his behavior thereafter. 397. The sorrow of jealousy keeps such vigilant watch in those that are beset by it that very often it not only awakens them from sleep, but drives away altogether the refreshment of slumber. Nobody ever suffered this sorrow in the same degree as St. Joseph, although if he had known the truth, nobody ever had less occasion. He was endowed with exalted light and knowledge so that he could penetrate to the abyss of the incalculable sanctity and perfection of his heavenly spouse as the reasons which urged him to resign the possession of such great blessing were inexorable. It naturally followed that the knowledge of what he was to lose should add to the sorrow of parting therefrom. Hence, what St. Joseph suffered in this regard exceeds all that ever was endured by any man. For no one ever equaled him in the loss, and no one could so value and estimate it. Besides, There was a great difference in the zeal and jealousy of his faithful servant of God and the jealousies of others in like troubles. For jealousies create in the vehement and ardent lover a great anxiety to preserve and prevent loss of the loved object. And to this anxiety is naturally added the pain caused by the fear lest the loved one be alienated by others. This kind of feeling or sorrow was commonly called jealousy. And those who have disorderly passions, and who, for want of prudence or other virtues, yield to them, it usually causes the different feelings of wrath, fury, envy toward the person loved or against the rival who impedes the return of love, be it a well-ordered love or not. Then arise the storms of suspicion and conjecture in the imagination engendered by these passions, the tempests of alternate desire and abhorrence of loving affection and vain regret. Thus, the irascible and concupiscent faculties are in perpetual strife, without any regard for the demands of reason or prudence, for this kind of sorrow confounds the understanding, perverts reason, and rejects prudence. 398. 
In St. Joseph, this disorder was not infected with all these faults, nor could they find room in him or on account both of his own exalted holiness and that of his spouse. For in her he could find no fault to exasperate him, nor had he any suspicion that her love had been captured by anyone else, against whom or toward whom his envy might be aroused in defense. The jealousy of St. Joseph was founded entirely in his own great love for her, in a certain conditional doubt or suspicion, lest his spouse had not entirely responded to his own love, for he found no such strong reasons against, as he did for his mistrust. A greater uncertainty was not necessary in his case in order to cause such vehement sorrows, for in the possession of a spouse no rival can be tolerated. Hence, the chaste marital love of our saint, which filled his whole heart, was sufficient to cause in him the most vehement grief at the least appearance of infidelity or danger of losing this most perfect, most beautiful, and delightful object of all his desires and thoughts. For if love is in possession of such just motives, strong and unbreakable are the bonds and chains with which it captivates the heart, and most powerful is the dominion which it exercises, especially when there are no imperfections to weaken it. Our queen exhibited nothing which either in the spiritual or in the natural order was calculated to diminish or moderate this love in her holy spouse, but only what tended to blow it into greater flame on many occasions and for many reasons. 399. Full of this sorrow, which had now become an intolerable pain, St. Joseph, after saying the prayer above mentioned, composed himself for a short sleep. Assured that he would wake up at the right time to leave his home at midnight, and as he thought, without the knowledge of his spouse, the heavenly lady awaited the intervention of God, asking it of him in most humble prayer. For she knew the tribulation of her troubled spouse had reached such a high point that the time of God's merciful assistance must have arrived. The Most High sent his archangel Gabriel in order to reveal to him during his sleep the mystery of the incarnation and redemption in the words recorded in the gospel. It might cause some wonder, and such was caused in me, why the archangel spoke to St. Joseph in his sleep and not while awake since the mystery was so high and so difficult to comprehend, especially in the present, afflicted and troubled state of his mind, while this same mystery was made known to others, not while they were asleep, but awake. 400. In these operations, of course, the last reason is always the divine will itself, just, holy, and perfect. However, as far as I have understood, I will partly mention some other reasons and explanation. The first reason is that St. Joseph was so prudent, filled with such heavenly light, and had such high conception of our Most Holy Lady, the Blessed Mary, that it was not necessary to convince him by strong evidence, in order to assure him of her dignity, and of the mysteries of the Incarnation. For in hearts well disposed, the divine inspirations find easy entrance. The second reason is because his trouble, and its beginning in the senses namely, in seeing with his eyes the pregnancy of his spouse. Hence it was a just retribution, that they, having given occasion for deception or suspicion, should, as it were, be deadened or repressed by the privation of the angelic vision. The third reason is, as it were, a sequence of this last one. 
St. Joseph, although he was guilty of no fault, was under the influence of his affliction, and his senses were, so to say, deadened and incapacitated for the sensible perception and intercourse of the angel. Therefore, it was befitting that the angel deliver this message to him at a time when the senses, which had been scandalized, were inactive and suspended in their operations. Thus, the holy man might afterwards, regaining their full use, purify and dispose himself by many acts of virtue for entertaining the operation of the Holy Spirit, which had been entirely interrupted by his troubles. 401. Hence will be also understood why God spoke to the ancient fathers oftener during sleep than happens to the faithful ones of the evangelical law. For in the new law, revelation in sleep is less frequent than direct intercourse with angels, which affords a more efficient mode of communication. The explanation of this fact is this, since according to the divine ordainment, the greatest impediment and obstacle of a more familiar intercourse and converse of the souls with God and his angels is the commission of sins, even venial sins, or even only imperfections. It follows that after the divine word became man and conversed with mortals, the senses and all our faculties are purified day by day by the sanctifying use of sensible sacraments, by which men in some degree are spiritualized and elevated, their torpid faculties aroused and made apt for participation in the divine influences. This blessing we owe in a greater degree to the blood of Christ our Lord than the ancients. For by its efficiency we are made partakers of his holiness through the sacraments, wherein we receive the effects of special graces, and in some of them even a spiritual character, which destines and prepares us for most high ends. But whenever the Lord in our time spoke or speaks in sleep, he excludes the operations of the senses as being unfit and unprepared to enter into the spiritual nuptials of his communications and divine influences. 402. It will also appear from this doctrine that in order to receive this hidden favor of the Lord, men must not only be free from guilt and possess merits and grace, but that they be also in peace and tranquility of spirit. For if the republic of the faculties is in disturbance, as it was in St. Joseph, the soul is not in a fit condition to receive such exalted and delicate influences as are implied by the visits and the caresses of the Lord. It is not at all uncommon that no matter how much tribulations and afflictions increase the merits of the soul, as were those of St. Joseph, the spouse of the queen, they nevertheless hinder the divine operations. For in suffering them, the soul is involved in a conflict with the powers of darkness, while this kind of blessing consists in the possession of light. And therefore, the vision of darkness, even if only in order to ward it off, is not in harmony with the vision of God or the angels, but in the midst of the conflict and the battle of temptations, which may be compared to a dream in the night, the voice of the Lord is nevertheless wont to be heard and perceived through the ministry of the angels, just as it happened to St. Joseph. He heard and understood all that St. Gabriel said, that he should not be afraid to remain with his spouse Mary. Matthew 1, 20, 21. Because what she bore in her womb was the work of the Holy Spirit, that she would give birth to a son who would be called Jesus, 
and who was to be the Savior of his people, that in all this should be fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, who said, A virgin shall conceive and shall bring forth a son, who is to be called Emmanuel, God with us. St. Joseph did not see the angel by the imaginary image. He heard only the interior voice, and he understood the mystery. The words of the angel imply that St. Joseph had in mind already resolved to sever his connection with Most Holy Mary, for he was told to receive her again without fear. 403. St. Joseph awoke with the full consciousness that his spouse was true mother of God. Full of joy on account of his good fortune and of his inconceivable happiness, and at the same time deeply moved by sudden sorrow for what he had done, he prostrated himself to the earth and with many other humble, reverential, and joyful tokens of his feelings. He performed heroic acts of humiliation and of thanksgiving. He gave thanks to the Lord for having revealed to him the mystery and for having made him the husband of her whom God had chosen for his mother, notwithstanding that he was not worthy to be even her slave. Amid these recognitions and these acts of virtue, the spirit of St. Joseph remained tranquil and apt for the reception of new influences of the Holy Spirit. His doubts and anxieties of the past few months had laid in him those deep foundations of humility, which were necessary for one who should be entrusted with the highest mysteries of the Lord, and the remembrance of his experiences was to him a lesson which lasted all his life. The holy man began to blame himself alone for all that had happened and broke forth in the following prayer. O my heavenly spouse and meekest dove chosen by the Most High for his dwelling place and for his mother, how could thy unworthy slave have dared to doubt thy fidelity? How could dust and ashes ever permit itself to be served by her who is the queen of heaven and earth and the mistress of the universe? How is it that I have not kissed the ground which was touched by thy feet? Why have I not made it my most solicitous care to serve thee on my knees? How will I ever raise my eyes in thy presence and dare to remain in thy company or open my lips to speak to thee? O my Lord and God, give me grace and strength to ask her forgiveness and move her heart to mercy, that she should do not despise her sorrowful servant according to his guilt. Ah, woe is me, since she is full of light and grace, and she bears within herself the author of light. All my thoughts were open to her sight, also that I had in my mind actually to leave her. Hence it will be temerity on my part to appear in her presence. I now recognize my rude behavior and my gross error, since even with such great holiness before my eyes I gave way to unworthy thoughts and doubts concerning her fidelity, which I did not deserve. And if in punishment thy justice had permitted me to execute my presumptuous resolve, what would now be my misfortune? Eternally be thanked, most high Lord, for such great blessing. Assist me, most powerful king, to make kind of reparation." I will go to my spouse and lady, confiding in her sweetness and clemency. Prostrate at her feet, I will ask her pardon, so that for her sake thou, my eternal Lord and God, mayest look upon me with eyes of a father, and mayest pardon my gross error. 404. The holy spouse now left his little room, finding himself so happily changed in sentiments since the time he had composed himself for sleep. 
as the Queen of Heaven always had kept herself in retirement. He did not wish to disturb her sweet contemplation until she herself desired. In the meantime, the man of God unwrapped the small bundle, which he had prepared, shedding many tears with feelings quite different from those with which he had made it up. Weeping, he began to show his reverence for his heavenly spouse by setting the rooms in order, scrubbing the floors, which were to be touched by the sacred feet of Most Holy Mary. He also performed other chores, which he had been accustomed to leave to the heavenly lady before he knew her dignity. He resolved to change entirely his relation toward her, assume for himself the position of servant, and leave to her the dignity of mistress. From that day on arose a wonderful contention between the two, which of them should be allowed to show most eagerness to serve and most humility. All that happened with St. Joseph, the Queen of Heaven saw, and not a thought or movement escaped her attention. When the time arrived, the saint approached the oratory of her highness, and she awaited him with sweetest kindness and mildness, as I will describe in the following chapter. Instruction which the Heavenly Lady, Most Holy Mary, gave me. 405. My daughter, in what thou hast understood of this chapter, thou hast a sweet motive for praising the wonderful ways of God's wisdom, in afflicting and again consoling his servants and chosen ones, from both the one and the other. He most wisely and kindly draws for them increase of merit and glory. Besides this doctrine, I wish that thou receive another one, most important for thy direction and for the narrow pathway which the Most High has assigned to thee. It is this, that thou strive with all thy might to preserve thyself in tranquility and interior peace, without allowing thyself to be deprived of it by any troublesome event of this life, whatever, and by always keeping in mind the example and instruction contained in this part of the life of my spouse, St. Joseph. The Most High does not wish to see the creatures disturbed by afflictions, but that they gain merit, not that they lose courage, but that they test their own power when aided by grace. Although the more violent temptations are wont to close the haven of exalted peace and knowledge of God, and although they ground the creature more firmly in the knowledge of its own lowliness, yet if the soul loses its interior tranquility and equilibrium, it will make itself unfit for the visit of the Lord, for hearing his voice and for being raised up to his embraces. The majesty of God does not come in a storm cloud, nor will the rays of the supreme Son of Justice shine when calm is not reigning in the soul. 406. If, then, the want of this tranquility so hinders the pure intercourse of the Most High, it is clear that sins are still greater hindrance to this great blessing. I desire that thou be very attentive to this doctrine, and that thou do not presume to allow any disregard of it in any operation of thy faculties. Since thou hast so often offended the Lord, call upon his mercy, weep, and wash thyself from thy sins with copious tears. Remember that under pain of being condemned as unfaithful, thou art obliged to watch over thy soul and preserve it for an eternal resting place of the Almighty, pure, clean, and undisturbed, so that thy God may possess it and find in it a worthy habitation. 1 Corinthians 2.16 the harmony of thy faculties and feelings is to be like that of the music of soft and delicate instruments, 
in which the more delicate the harmony, so much the greater is the danger of discord, and so much the greater must be the care to preserve the instruments from all gross contact. For even the atmosphere infected by earthly tendencies is sufficient to disturb the spoil, the powers of the soul thus consecrated to God. Labor, therefore, to live a careful life and to keep full command over thy faculties and operations. If at any time thou art disturbed or disconcerted in maintaining this order, strive to attend to the divine light, making use of it without fear or hesitation, and working with it whatever is most perfect and pure. In this I point out to thee the example of my spouse, St. Joseph, who believed the angel without a moment's hesitation, and immediately with prompt obedience executed his commands, and thereby he merited to be raised a great reward and dignity. If he humiliated himself so deeply, after having had such great, though only apparent reasons for anxiety, and without even having sinned in what he did, how must thou, a mere worm of the earth, acknowledge thy littleness and humble thyself to the dust, weeping over thy negligences and sins, in order that the Most High may look upon thee as a father and as a spouse? This concludes our reading for day number 140. We read today from Volume 2, Book 4, Chapter 3, Paragraphs 397 to 406. If you are having trouble sleeping at night, maybe jealousy has entered into your life. This is one of the commentaries today. The sorrow of jealousy keeps such vigilant watch in those that are beset by it that very often it not only awakens them from sleep, but drives away altogether the refreshment of slumber. I think we could take it beyond jealousy, that there are other sins in our life that might take away from our sleep, that sometimes our soul being burdened down by sin might affect our rest. It might deprive us of that rest that God wants us to have each and every night, but especially as we enter into Sabbath rest. Think about when you have a good night's sleep. Perhaps it's right after making a good confession. Maybe it's when your spiritual life is in right order, that you're able to fall asleep and you have greater peace. I think there's something here because as we heard today in chapter three, it is in sleep that while St. Joseph was asleep, and we knew this from the Holy Gospel, that the angel speaks to him. And he doesn't have an angelic vision, according to Maria of Agreda, but he hears the message of the angel. And then he responds to that message. He's completely aware. He is granted understanding in that moment when he hears that angel. And so then he's moved to repentance. He actually goes to God in prayer. Oh God, you have made me aware of this through the message of the angel. I repent of any of my wrongdoing. I wish to love and honor and respect the Blessed Virgin Mary for all of my life. Sometimes this has happened to me where I'd have a dream and it was of an individual or a group of people or whoever it was, but that moved me to prayer. And I thought one time especially that maybe God placed that person in my mind, in my dream, 
so that I could pray for them? Have your dreams ever moved you to prayer? And then for the husband who's listening, think of what St. Joseph did to honor the Blessed Virgin Mary. He began weeping over what he had done, yes, but then he began to show his reverence for his heavenly spouse by setting the rooms in order, scrubbing the floors which were to be touched by the secret by the sacred feet of Most Holy Mary. He also performed other chores, which he had been accustomed to leave to the heavenly lady. He went out of his way to serve his spouse. And maybe that's what God is calling you to do. For St. Joseph, it's almost as if this is an act of reparation, perhaps. But even more so, what it is is, He's seeing who Mary is. He finally understands the great mystery of this woman to whom he was betrothed and whom he married, who he was called by God, that the two of them were to enter into this virginal marriage. He now knows who she is, and he wants to ensure that she is honored and given the respect because of who God called her to be. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on the mystical city of God. I'm grateful that you joined me today, and I hope that you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.